Good morning, Westridge. So I always like to know who I'm talking to. Are you guys not Bears fans, or did you get the kickoff time wrong? Okay. Well, don't worry. I've got a special extra-length message this morning. You're going to be out here by one first quarter tops you're going to miss. That's it. And what better topic as another Chicago sports team begins its season than learning to forgive? And especially today's topic, when not to forgive. Now, I'll tell you right now, Jay Cutler does not have one more season in my forgiveness book. You know, it's the funniest times that I get amens at this church. You know, it's not related to anything spiritual. It's usually pretty carnal, banal. Um, I love this quote from Catherine Marshall. She says that forgiveness is releasing another from your personal judgment. Removing personal judgment from a person doesn't mean that you agree with what they have said or done. It simply means that you won't act as their judge you'll not pronounce a guilty verdict on them. And that's important because until people can trust that they have been released from your personal judgment, they'll never open up to you. And that's important because sooner or later, I'm pretty sure there is a possibility, a potential exists that I could disappoint you, that I could fail you, not by design or desire because I'm imperfect. I'm still under construction. And for me to be able to open up to you, I'm going to have to know that you're not going to condemn me when my weaknesses and my flaws surface. Because sooner or later, surface they will. This view of forgiveness releases me from the awesome responsibility of having to play God. Now, unfortunately, I think there are way too many churches, way too many pastors and church leaders in general that fall into that trap of playing God. Now, the biblical position is this. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of the king. That means we represent his message. We don't make it up. We represent his message, and his message is called good news. Underlying good. Way too many churches, way too many pastors in way too many places are way too good at sharing bad news. We're ambassadors. We share his message of good news. We don't act in his place to judge. The king has promised to come back someday and settle all accounts. That's up to him. When he does it, how he does it, That's not my job. That's his job. So I'm a shepherd of the flock. I'm not the prison guard of the flock. From time to time, people will ask me, did so-and-so go to heaven? Or do you think those people will go to heaven? And I can talk about what I think is important in our spiritual lives, but I'll not engage in the job of king and judge. Maybe, without even really thinking about it, you've fallen into that same trap in your interpersonal relationships. Once you assume the role of God in any relationship where you become the prison warden, the power broker, the one looking over shoulders, the one handing down pronouncement, 
You've imprisoned yourself because you've placed yourself in a position that you cannot possibly fulfill, namely God's. Now, I got to tell you, it's wonderfully liberating that I'm not your judge. I'm happy about that. You should be happy about that. Because if I were, some of you would be in big, big trouble. If you're interested, if you're one of them, just let me know. This misperception of roles sometimes causes confusion about our topic for the day, forgiveness. Because not everything that passes for forgiveness is counterfeit forgiveness. It's subtle. It's deceptive. And so most of us, from time to time, we need to stop and evaluate our motivation for forgiveness. And so in order to do that today, let's move towards authentic forgiveness by listing some characteristics of counterfeit forgiveness. Is that okay? Still pregame show. Still pregame show. You're doing okay. (laughs) Counterfeit forgiveness characteristic number one. Forgiveness is not a ploy to manipulate, usually followed by, I'll forgive, but. That's not forgiveness. That's sweet, saintly revenge. I'll forgive you, but don't ever let that happen again. I'll forgive you, but I'll be the one making decisions around here. I'll forgive you, but things are going to be a little different around here now. It always helps when you fold your arms like this and look mean, look down on people. None of you have ever done that. The implication from the manipulative forgiver is... I'll forgive you, but you will find some way to be dutifully grateful from this day forward. The price of my forgiveness is for you to be my indentured servant for the rest of eternity. How's that? The forgiven person is aware, consciously or unconsciously, of being in a morally subordinate position. And do I have to tell you that love cannot flourish between two unequals? And it does not grow when one is put down to meet another's need. Instead, once down, one is always down. And so, when forgiveness is handed down from superior to inferior, from forgiver to forgiven, it places the forgiven in the red. And to be in the red means to feel the burden of obligations and duties and demands. To be a one-up forgiver allows you to be in control, to maintain a sense of superiority, to obligate the other to be grateful. Usually, a one-up forgiver is allowed to continue in this kind of counterfeit forgiveness because sometimes the person in the one-down position actually prefers that and promotes it in the relationship. The one-down person, in too many cases, enjoys the escape from certain responsibilities in their life. And while some people like to control and dominate and direct, you know who you are, some people desire direction and domination. 
And so the one-up forgiver seeks a relational indebtedness that is akin to a lifetime mortgage on one's self-esteem with interest payable on demand. Now you already know that's not the kind of relationship that God desires for us. The Bible doesn't talk about that kind of manipulation in forgiveness. The Bible points out that we're to reach out to others, not down. That we're to stand with, not over. That we're to stand equal in working through forgiveness. Here's Jesus, the greatest forgiver of all time, forgiving us, the forgiver, and we're the forgiven, and yet He calls us His friends. But because we're sinful, have you noticed, like I have, that sometimes we can distort our relationships? Sometimes they're not everything they could be or should be. That's because the Bible points out that things are not the way they're supposed to be. I may choose to live over you by controlling, directing, playing God. I may choose to live in you by losing my self-identity through over-attachment or over-investment. I may choose to live for you by taking responsibility for and feeling responsibility to rather than being responsible with. I may choose to live off you in parasitic clinging and attachment. I may choose to live under you in submissive dependency by making you my idol or my God. I may choose to live without you in isolation or withdrawal. I may choose to live against you in hostility, making you my enemy. I may choose to live in spite of you, in individualism or apathy. But real forgiveness refuses superiority and repudiates inferiority. And so to set anyone free, forgiveness has to be freely given. It has to be an act of love, not an obvious power play. Forced forgiveness makes matters worse for everybody. You forgive in freedom. And only when you give other people freedom to do what you don't want them to do, if they so choose... Is forgiveness free? It's almost as if your gift of forgiveness that you're bestowing on someone is some takes the shape of a precious porcelain figure, and you you bestow that forgiveness upon them. And what they do with that is entirely up to them. They may set it on their shelf, they may crash it against the wall. That's your forgiveness that they're mistreating that way, but you gave it freely with no strings attached. When forgiveness is an attempt at manipulation, care enough not to forgive. If you try to manipulate people into your contrived version of a happy ending, you're not forgiving freely, and you're really not forgiving at all. Only if you have enough respect for the other person to let them be responsible for what they do with your forgiveness, will your forgiveness be genuine. It is the risk one always takes In the forgiving game, you can't escape it. Counterfeit forgiveness characteristic number two. 
Forgiveness is not quick or easy. Now, maybe you would say to me, my forgiveness was instantaneous. I just was able to do it. It was fast, it was easy. And I would say to you, God bless you. You're freely forgiven. No no strings attached, but if you do that again, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to bring you up here. If for you forgiveness was quick and easy, I'd say, I'm happy for you. But I'd also have to say, for most of us, it's not that quick. It's not that easy. Deep wounds rarely heal overnight. And there's nothing wrong with you. Genuine forgiveness takes time. It takes a lot of time. Sometimes you struggle with it so long that you can't remember the moment you finally did it. You just wake up one day and on thinking about those you want to forgive are a little shocked to realize you've already begun to forgive them. You know that because you find yourself wishing them well. But beware of this cliche. You know this cliche. Time heals all wounds. Two of you knew that cliche. Not necessarily true. Not in every instance. Time is usually necessary, but it has healing properties only to the extent that the passage of time is used to let our emotions catch up with our mind and our will. It's possible over time to isolate those feelings, to deny those feelings, to repress those feelings. And if any of these coping techniques are at work, time will not only not heal the wound, it will cause it to grow worse. All of which to say, if we don't work through the emotional damage of the original hurt, the resulting underground emotions will break free in another area, usually in the area of anger. And so, the next time someone lashes out at you in anger, totally unexpected, without good reason, ask them, who haven't you forgiven? And then duck. (laughs) Let me see if I can illustrate this sort of metaphysical thing this way. I'm going to ask you to sort of visualize with it. Is that okay? Let's get the, get the goal line and the goal post out of your brain. And, and instead, visualize with me a hot tub. Come on in. It's adult swim, plenty of chlorine. We're in the hot tub. And in this hot tub, repressed thoughts and feelings are bobbing like corks in the water. All those issues went underground, we didn't deal with them, and here they are in our hot tub, bobbing up and down like corks. And so to keep them repressed requires that they be held out of sight underneath the surface of the water. And that works for a little while, but soon you discover you don't have enough hands. And so someone walks past our hot tub and they say to the bobbling bungler, here, have a sandwich, it's really great. But you don't have any free hands. And so you can't enjoy it like your friend. So you take a pass. Someone else comes by and they say, let's go to the beach. It's a beautiful day. And you'd love to go to the beach. But to do so would mean to let all the corks bob to the surface. And so you say, I'm too busy. 
Which in an odd sort of way is really true. You are really busy. You're really busy not enjoying life. And so freedom comes as we let the corks bob up to the surface one at a time. And we look at them. And we own them. And we decide what is best to do with them. And we discard those that are out of date. And we deal with those that still have meaning. And when both hands are free, our past is owned. It's used. It's accepted for what it is. And it's woven into present meaningful relationships. And at last, we're getting out of the hot tub. You ready? When we get out of the hot tubs, both hands are free. We're able to run and dance again for the first time in a long time. Forgiveness happens as past resentments are recognized, not repressed, released, not retained. But anger is still, for many of us, going to be the primary emotion that we're going to have to resolve. And it's terribly unrealistic to expect a single act of forgiving to get rid of all the angry feelings. For that matter, anger is a natural, normal response when we're wrong. If we don't get angry and stay angry when a bad thing happens to us, we lose a bit of our humanity. But here's what I want you to see. In forgiveness, love and anger meet. They intersect. Love accepts the other person without conditions. Anger presses for clear justice with conditions. Anger can serve to motivate us to press for things that aren't healthy for us. God's justice and God's love met in Jesus Christ on the cross. Which brings us to our final counterfeit forgiveness characteristic. Number three. Forgiveness is not tolerance. You can forgive someone almost anything. But you can't tolerate everything. Again, let me take it out of the sort of theoretical into more of a concrete illustration. Dr. Henry Best runs an elite surgical team where he's the head heart surgeon. The limits of tolerance are very narrow to get on Dr. Best's team. Some mistakes are tolerable once. Anybody using a tough technique for the first time can fumble. A second time, and they better have a good excuse. A third time and they'd better be thinking of general practice, not heart surgery. But one error that Dr. Best does not tolerate, not even once, is an intern or a resident initiating a surgical procedure without consulting him first. Enter the picture, Dr. Fred Bush. He's brilliant, he's arrogant, and he's a young resident that's in the hospital one night when one of Dr. Best's patients needed emergency surgery. It's 2 a.m., and Bush thinks to himself, no need to wake my boss at 2 a.m., I got this covered. So he wheels the patient into surgery. He performs a brilliant procedure. Ten minutes after Dr. Best arrives at the hospital, Dr. Bush's career, unlike the patient, takes a turn for the worse. 
The best Dr. Bush can hope for now is general practice in Idaho. Dr. Bush could have personally, or Dr. Best could have personally forgiven Bush, but he could not tolerate what he'd done. Bush had gone beyond the tolerable, even though he was well within the forgivable. You want a biblical example? Take a look at Moses. Moses is the great example of this. Forgiven? Yes. Permitted to go into the promised land? No. And so here's the takeaway for you and me. We're going to have to decide in our own life what we're willing to put up with and what we can't tolerate. And what we need to remember is this. We don't have to tolerate what people do just because we forgive them for doing it. Forgiveness and tolerance are not synonymous terms. Forgiveness heals us personally. It's a matter of the heart. To tolerate everything only hurts us in the long run. And so don't forgive easily, quickly, superficially, without reflecting on your tolerance levels. I think every one of us sort of has a gauge in our life. It's the tolerance level gauge. And it's dependent somewhat on the context. We're feeling good. We're feeling strong. We're healthy. We're rested. Tolerance gauge on full. We've had a rough time, a rough season, a difficult job. The tolerance gauge may be is almost toward the empty end of things. But almost always, almost always, it's helpful to have the counsel of trusted friends who have the same values when you're formulating your tolerance levels. We need each other in this. Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter of the first book in your Bible tells a remarkable story that would make all the talk shows today. His own brothers sell him into slavery at the age of 17. An unfair act of brutality and betrayal. It would devastate any of us. And so he spends 13 long years slaving away in menial jobs before rising to the position of prime minister. And then, guess who comes back to ask for help? Those same brothers who had earlier done such a horrible thing, who perpetrated such a terrible act on their own brother. But Joseph understood what some of us don't. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation not just release. The task of forgiveness is the reconstruction of the relationship, not a pious retreat from authentic relating. Joseph also understood that forgiveness is not an excuse for manipulation or denying our emotions. We know that because the text tells us when Joseph saw his brothers for the first time since they sold them into slavery, he wept profusely. No denying repressing going on there. The Bible records the final scene of this drama this way. His brothers come to him and they throw themselves down before him. And watch what they say. We are your slaves. 
And you know what? If I was Joseph, what I would have said? You bet you are. You'd be lucky to be my slaves. You know who you're talking to? Joseph was a better man than me. You see, they were content to live in a one-down relationship. Forgiver, forgiven. Moral superiority, enforced gratitude. They were happy to live with that. But you know what Joseph does say? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I'm not your judge. You intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. Redemptive remembering. To accomplish all that is now being done, the saving of many lives. God's still in control. Unfair hurts, yep. Unjust wrongs, yeah. Betrayal, you bet. Brutality, yeah, even that. Wish I could have avoided it, yeah. God's still in control. I got to believe that. If I don't believe that, then not only do I have a forgiveness problem, I have a crisis of faith. When you know when to forgive and you know when not to forgive, the life you save may be your own. Because it's easier to extend forgiveness once you've received forgiveness. And it's easier to do both when you're part of of a community that's in the forgiveness business. That's where you are today. You're in a community here. It's in the business of forgiveness. That's the right place to be. So I'm going to end today like I did last Sunday. With a couple of immediate decisions you can make. You can decide today to accept the offer of forgiveness that God so desperately wants to extend to you. It's free. You don't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But you can say, I accept it. And if you've already taken that act in your life, that means you have the power You have the the ability. It is possible for you to extend forgiveness to someone in your life this week. Communion is our opportunity to take just a few seconds and reflect upon, remember, the cross of Christ where God's love and justice met and intersected and produce the means of our forgiveness. You're probably familiar with this part of the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or, as Peterson paraphrases it, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we think about the gift of eternal life, your great love. It's probably a good time 
for us to say thank you for forgiving us and to ask for the empowerment to forgive others in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.